0: Spiritual Freedom Show with Richard Lawrence, where politics is not the answer, materialism counts for nothing, and spirituality will set you free.
1: Welcome to the Spiritual Freedom Show. I'm Richard Lawrence, and this is an ethereous podcast, and I'm delighted to say that we're also now syndicated on the following other radio networks, including these Body Mind Spiritual Radio. WTRM The Trim Radio Network, Transformation Talk Radio, home of The Dr. Pat Show, and Oneness Talk Radio. Today, we're going to be joined, I'm delighted to say, by Lisa and Julian Rosser. You hear Lisa every time you tune into this show because she does the introductory words. And we've had them both as guests before. And I'm looking forward very much to hearing from them both. And as always, of course, our producer is Darren Ball and he has many questions to ask. Many of you have been writing in. We're very grateful for that with your points, your questions, your comments. And Darren will be bringing some of those to our attention. As always, I never know what he's going to ask, what questions he's going to raise, and that makes it completely spontaneous. So today we're going to look At the very thorny issue which has dominated a lot of thinkers for centuries uh, and it's not a very popular topic but the topic is sin and we're going to discover that there is only one major sin on earth. That's what I absolutely love. It's one of the things I love about the nine freedoms. It keeps things as simple as they can be kept and it also gives us answers. Now, a lot of things have been said about sin, and of course we know from various Orthodox religions, not just one, that a lot of guilt has been fostered in people through the ages, sometimes inappropriately. I'm not going to say always inappropriately, but sometimes inappropriately. For example, uh, at one time it was a sin to give healing. Can you believe that? In certain churches. Uh, at one time it was a sin to read, even read, so-called pagan literature. People would flagellate themselves in atonement for having read uh, Ovid or Homer or even specially some type of magical or perhaps herbal practice which they weren't meant to be reading. And so sometimes you had this inappropriate guilt built up, and that was used, has to be said, used to control people in certain religions at times. But on the other extreme, you have in the so-called, and I'm going to stress that, so-called New Age movement, you have this whole approach that you shouldn't be guilty about anything. Guilt is of itself bad. And I'm sorry to say, if we took that to its ultimate conclusion, we'd have no conscience about anything at all. And we anything would go. And we can see where that could lead. So we want to bring, as always, through the nine freedoms, through the words of the karmic Lord Mars Sector Six, who delivered the nine freedoms, balance, truth, simplicity and answers. Now, there have been some really, I think, very clever and even profound things said about guilt. I'm just going to give a couple of examples. One's a very clever one from a very clever man, namely Oscar Wilde. But this is an encouraging one, and I think he's probably said this from the heart. He said that every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. And I think that's a hopeful, non-judgmental approach to this whole topic there from Oscar Wilde. I think even greater is that beautiful aphorism, actually, by the wonderful Paramahansa Yogananda, who said this, a saint is a sinner who never gave up. That's an encouraging thought, is it not? A a sinner, that's hope for all of us, a sinner who never gave up. But I think the greatest uh, statement or the greatest anecdote, if you like, uh, I don't know exactly how true it is, but I could certainly believe it, uh, from the Bible uh, is a really wonderful uh, story uh, about Jesus uh, when he was confronted by the Pharisees, people who were trying to trick him and let's remember one thing about the Master Jesus, which isn't often said. It was certainly said by Dr. King, um, and I believe the Master etherius too, that among other things, he was a great politician. Now, that may sound that sounds awful nowadays, because we look at our politicians and who, who want to be one of them, but he had... Great political acumen, the Master Jesus. He chose his time. He knew what to say. He knew when he wanted to be trapped and when he didn't want to be trapped. And yet, all the while, gave out great truths. And this is a classic example. So the Pharisees were trying to catch him out because they had found a woman who was an adulterer. And, of course, uh, in those days, and I'm sorry to say sometimes even in these days in certain parts, if a woman is an adulterer, it's a far worse inverted commas sin than if a man is, which is ridiculous, but that's the way it's been in certain cultures and maybe still is. Anyway, they brought this woman to Jesus to try to trick Jesus to say, well, according to the law, she should be stoned, she should be punished. What do you say? And, I mean, as quick as talk about an impromptu response, uh, completely off the cuff, he came up with this timeless statement. These aren't the exact words, but this is, I think, how it, they are remembered. Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And they, they've gone down, and, so, and rightly so. And, of course, that also dealt with the Pharisees, because none of them could say they were without sin. I mean, that hasn't stopped, I have to say, some people later in the Christian church and other organizations uh, promulgating hypocritical condemnations when they themselves were not without sin. But however, the teaching is there. It's not the only time, just as an aside, by the way, that uh, Jesus demonstrated his incredible uh, ability to respond off the cuff to a an attempted trick. Of course, he could see a trick a mile off. I think the other famous one is when he was asked whether people should pay tax, the very high taxes that were being put upon ordinary people by the Romans regime. And he came up with this, again, timeless statement, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Uh, that's nothing to do with sin. But it's another example. Actually, the Dr. King Kind of improved on that. He said, give unto Caesar what Caesar thinks is Caesar's. However, let's not get diverted from our topic today, which is the only major sin on earth. So we're going to listen uh, to our first extract, which really answers in what I, before we do, I just like to this, what I absolutely think is so wonderful about the nine freedoms. They may not always necessarily be emotive, they may not be, shall we say, well, they're not empathetic in the sentimental sense, but they're something far greater, far higher, far more advanced and far more useful. I do mean useful because they tell us, they go, I think, further even than the examples I've given so far, because they tell us exactly what the problem is and exactly how to solve it, which is the most useful thing we can hear in any wisdom. So let us now listen then to this first extract from The Fourth Freedom. In fact, they're some of the opening words of The Fourth Freedom. Thank you, Darren.
2: The Fourth Freedom Will uh, Be Enlightenment Uh, freedom uh, from ignorance uh, can uh, be uh, brought about uh, by all uh, terrestrials uh, who are uh, willing uh, to expend a uh, sufficient energy are uh, to bring this elevated uh, state into a uh, being uh, there is uh, but uh, one a uh, major um, sin upon a uh, terra uh, that is ignorance. A bravery, a dispensation of pure, a love, a service. These attributes can help the aspirant to bring enlightenment
1: into being brilliant is it not there you have in one word all sin ignorance it's a non-judgmental word it's a very exact word and you have the liberating way we can escape from it and with it from all sins of all kinds whatever they may be because they're all part of that one major sin and he goes through, of course. I I do find I have to, and forgive me if I'm repeating myself. The these teachings to be the most positive teachings I've ever come across. And I do look at other teachings. I don't just look at Ethereum Society teachings, and I always have done. I'm interested in them. I looked at a particular work by someone I admire only about a week ago. A great spiritual teacher, a great yogi. Um, And I have to say, I was slightly disappointed. uh, And it was a slight disappointment because it was a little flat. And this is of someone who is a great teacher, who I would really admire. I don't wish to name because I don't wish to be in any way critical. I'm not worthy to be critical of this particular teacher. But after the nine freedoms and after this concept of changing the world, making a major difference in the world, and you go to another set of teachings, no matter how great, it is a little flat by comparison. And also the nine freedoms are so positive. We're told here, yeah, that's your your sin. Ignorance, very simple, one word, there it is. But we're also told we can, if we expend enough energy Free ourselves from it and we're told how to do it. And we have bravery, love, and service mentioned again. Mentioned before, and Saint Guling, who introduced all the freedoms, the ascended master Saint Guling, who actually visualized the Ethereum society um, on behalf of the cosmic masters, a very, very great master, indeed, Chinese master. Uh, he said that the the freedoms are not necessarily given in order of importance. And I think that's very true of the first four freedoms, by the way. In fact, you can prove it because you'll find, for example, in the first freedom, these words, that you can overcome fear, and this is now the quote uh, by uh, quotes, so enlightening yourself that this weapon may be rendered useless. This is the weapon of fear as used by dark forces. And the answer, so enlightening yourselves that this weapon may become be rendered useless. Again, there you have in that very first freedom a mention of enlightenment. Um, And then in the second freedom, here's a quote. Love is not the result of ignorance, but the direct result of applied enlightenment. So from enlightenment comes love. From enlightenment comes bravery. From bravery comes enlightenment. From love comes service and enlightenment. They're all interrelated, interrelated. And in the third freedom, Mars Sector 6 describes service as, quotes, the lasting flower in the Garden of Enlightenment. uh, Which is a, a great thought, is it not? That yes, there are other flowers in the Garden of Enlightenment, but service is the one that lasts. I think we all know that, actually. I think if we look back on our own lives and the things that matter to us and the things we remember, even though we're not probably, certainly in my case, fully enlightened, far from it... The things that really are of value to us that are lasting are the things where we've made a difference for others. We don't so much cherish, if we're really honest, you know, the fact that we had a great night out or a great, well, the material pleasures of life, if you like. We enjoy them at the time, no doubt. But the lasting flower is service. And you've got an interrelationship between all these four freedoms, all leading one to another. Service is love in practical action. Love is the result of enlightenment and so on. But you could say that of all of them service is the most important and of course the best reason to seek out enlightenment, the best reason to overcome the only major sin of course is to serve others and on certain occasions that has indeed been done. I think on many occasions People sought out enlightenment without that motive, for their own bliss, for their own peace. And Mars Sector Six has made his feelings very clear about that. Come ye hence, for ye are fools if you do it in detachment from service to others. And I think the nine frames, as well as being very positive, it's a it is a happy teaching, and 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 being happy uh, doesn't necessarily make it of itself better. I mean, the 12 blessings has sadness in it. Uh, uh, Those who know the 12 blessings, the fourth blessing, for example, the seventh blessing, and others, the sacrifice, the sadness, that's all part of truth. But the nine freedoms focuses very much on the positive, the happy, the outcome, which will bring greater and greater realisation, greater and greater enlightenment. So the only major sin on earth is ignorance. Terror, just to remind you, the word terror is spelled T-E-R-R-A, and it means earth, Mother Earth. It's actually the Roman name for the goddess earth, the Greek one being Gaia. And terror is used by the cosmic masters for Mother Earth or this planet, You can take all your seven deadly sins, all the other sins which have been defined through the ages, some rightly, others wrongly, and the modern sins such as racism, sexism and so forth, and wrap them up in this one category of ignorance. It doesn't make them necessarily pardonable, by the way. It might make them even worse in some ways because there's no excuse for ignorance, but it exists. And we just haven't spent the time and energy we could have done to bring the elevated state of enlightenment within us yet. But now we can. And enlightenment will dispel ignorance, and with it will go the only major sin on earth. And that is surely a good enough reason, is it not, to really, really go for it. Now, that's the end of our first uh, extract. We'll have another one later on overcoming the only major sin on earth. But I. Very much looking forward to introducing now our producer, Darren Ball, with his questions and the points he's received from you all and from others who've written in to the Aetherius Society. Darren, welcome to your show, Darren. <laughs> Thanks, Richard. And hello to everybody listening. Um,
3: i just say first, I think before I get into any questions, you know, what I love just so much about what you've said today is that it, it feels so liberating, so fresh, um, invigorating, in fact, you know in comparison to some of the older religious ideas that we 've had on earth um, because it 's such a balanced perspective, I think what you 've given, and um, in the nine freedoms I think we 've given something so completely clear, and I remember thinking that you know the first time that I read it, you know as I think you almost said these words actually you know they 're exactly the ones that I thought you know problem solution, ignorance,
1: yeah. enlightenment, you know no baggage at all there yeah, yeah, and you get that right through the nine freedoms all the way up to the to the ninth freedom uh, you get the Simply put, I mean, it does make you question, really, the calibre of Mars Sector 6. I I mean, I'm going off topic a bit here, but there was one reference, and I believe it's in the 8th, Freedom, and these aren't the exact words, but he said that the the lords of Saturn are revered revered even by the Logoi, or some words to that effect, the Logoi being the planets themselves. And you think, well, how could Mars Sector 6 actually know Uh, what a planet reveres. And then you have to wonder why he's sometimes introduced as Mars. But I digress. Uh, Back to you, Darren, and your questions.
3: Yeah, yeah. There's a a lifetime of mystery to explore there for us, but um, profound indeed. Uh, But yes, thank you to everyone who's been tuning in, sharing your feedback, your comments, your own spiritual experience, and of course, your questions for us to share on the show, like we have some here today. And if you're hearing this for the first time or haven't written to us before, we do warmly invite you to leave a comment on our website, that's ethereus.org, or to email us, that's spiritualfreedom at richardlawrence.co.uk, if there's anything you'd like to share or ask Richard about. I also invite you to check out Richard's website for recent interviews, podcasts, and events that he's presented on a whole range of fascinating spiritual topics. So um, let's take a first question here. Um, this person's written in and they say, during the forthcoming spiritual push, when is the best time of day to do the six breathing exercises and meditations? And is there a recommended diet or fasting that increases the effect these exercises have to aid consciousness raising?
1: Gosh, that's a very good one. Um, well, there are certain key times of day for breathing. And there is a practice which is contained in uh, two books practices of ethereus so is a small booklet really and also in realize your inner potential which i was honored to co-author uh, with dr george king it's his book not mine but i was honored to be a co-author and they there are some particular times for a certain type of breathing are, are given and they're given as being uh, dawn noon dusk and midnight but in terms of the whole set, I'm taking that to be our set of six breathing exercises that we teach or that Dr. King taught. Um, I would suggest if it's possible, a very good time to do it. When What I actually do, both my wife and I do is to do it first thing in the morning. The very first thing you do. Some people say, well, I haven't got time. I'm rushing. I've got to do this. I've got to, you know, get breakfast, get the children off, get to work, whatever it might be. But, I think you know we find time to wash, we find time to do our teeth. You can, ju- you you'll if you get into the routine of it, that would be a great time to do it because it sets you off for the whole day then, and it does affect your whole day if you if you've done that first thing. But you know there is no fixed rule. Um, Doctor King did not particularly advocate doing it at the end of the day, mainly because it's not great for for sleeping afterwards, um, but. Um, So I would say probably the earlier, the better that you can do it. Uh, But uh, and don't forget, as I mentioned earlier, dawn and noon are always good times, but that's for a particular type of breathing. Uh, But um, first thing would be my recommendation, Darren, When, when do you do it? Yeah, no, the first thing I was going to say was anytime, as long as you simply do it. Well, that's, <laughs> that's true I as think, well. That yeah. is very true yeah. as well. That's a, thank you for that. Yeah. Because I think sometimes people, you know, they just don't get it done and they think oh, I've missed that. No, you, you can come back and do it later. And even if it is in the evening, much better to do it than, than not do it at all.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, you know all these things are about habit building at the end of the day, and and anything we can do to you know attach it to something that we might already be doing. For example, say ah oh, now it's time to do my breathing. And as you say, you know even if you might have missed you know when you usually do it, if you think about it as one of the most important things of, in your day, um, you know in, in the same way that we think about service as being the core of our life, mm-hmm. um, you know this breathing being a part of enabling to serve better and to advance then. Um, you know, all the other kind of things that we find ourselves so busy doing kind of tend to tend to fall away in, in relative importance. And that's True. certainly what I've found over the years. And I think anyone who begins to do them or, you know, just builds up this yearning to do them, they'll find something
1: similar too. And you'll find you'll, find you'll start looking forward to them, you know, that, Absolutely. Oh, great, yeah. I've got my whatever it is, it might be 10 minutes, but it's a it's a great thing. You don't always feel that way. And you, you should still do them even if you don't feel that way. But, you know, it is something to really look forward to. And, you can get you really get your teeth into yeah, the last thing
3: I'll say about it, actually, is um, I think where a lot of people struggle with them is kind of like even just the first few minutes because we often find, well, I've certainly found, I've spoken to other people about this. I was just speaking about this last night, actually, is that, you know, you sit down to do your breathing and you start, you know, becoming aware of the breath and you get absolutely bombarded by every thought that's been like on the periphery of your mind for the last 24 hours, <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay, and it, okay. And you're just like, okay, uh, okay. Uh, I'm not going to fight these. Let them come, let them settle like sediment in a pool. And then I'm going to, uh, you know, push through this first few minutes to, to continue with the practice. I think if you can get through the first few minutes, you know, the rest is... And then is you'll transmute,
1: easier. if not them, you'll transmute the energy behind them through mm. doing the breathings, which which means that when you come to face these things, if you have to face them, you'll do it in a completely different frame of mind, a better frame of mind. Yeah, great perspective. Thank you. So is that, is that our question for now? Uh, I think it is, because I think we have our first guest, and I'm really looking forward to this because last time Julian Rosser was with us, he uh, was actually leading us in a practice. But this time we're going to hear his moment of truth. As regular listeners will know, we always have a moment of truth or an MOT, as we like to call it here, um, which uh, in which a person shares sometimes a very intimate, very personal Uh, experience which changed their lives so julian is a very active staff member at the Ethereum society in london um he's a minister he hails from new zealand he was on the staff there for many years before he came to the uk he's been a regular presenter on the mystic fm radio show in new zealand and is a regular contributor to the Ethereum society blog among many other things but today he's going to be sharing with us a little bit of his spiritual journey to date so welcome back to the show again julian
4: well, thank you very much um, for having me. It's great to be back here again on this excellent show, I must say. Um, I thought I would share a little story um, a number of, quite a number of years ago, actually, um, when I was sort of quite early in my um, uh, experience and, and, and reading through of Dr. King's teachings and his books and so on. And I was reading a book about the holy mountains of the world and which were charged with spiritual energy by the Cosmic Masters through Dr. King. I won't get into the whole uh, details of this, um, but essentially these mountains around the world became spiritual batteries and therefore potent places to pray. And there's 19 of them, for people who are not aware of them, there's 19 of them around the world in the UK, Europe, the US, Australia, New Zealand, and Kilimanjaro in Tanzania. And so I've always enjoyed the outdoors, and the combination of the outdoors and spirituality uh, just really clicked for me. And so uh, on this particular day after reading this book, I just decided that I would try to do, well, I I decided that I would do all, uh, to undertake a pilgrimage to all 19 of these mountains, and that I would start with the more difficult ones, because some of them are you know, obviously, a lot easier than others. Some of them require, you know, quite a, quite an investment of time and energy, and money and travel and so on and so forth. Others are, are are just a nice walk walk in the park, literally. So I lived in New Zealand at the time, and a few days after making this um, decision, I went into the New Zealand branch of the Ethereum Society in Auckland, and amazingly, there was a notice there about there being a pilgrimage plan for Mount Kilimanjaro. And so my determination, my decision to visit all of these mountains was still very fresh in my mind, and this this opportunity just suddenly appeared. And so I immediately signed up for it. I think it would have been hypocritical for me to have not done it after I'd made this decision to do it, and then being presented with the opportunity so immediately. And for people who aren't aware of this, I mean, this doesn't happen every day. It's quite a rare Uh, rare occurrence. So it was great timing. So I went through the process and eventually made this pilgrimage as part of a group of people. And it was absolutely wonderful experience. It's actually a much longer story than I have time for here. But suffice to say, this has had a tremendous impact on my life. And in fact, pilgrimages to the Holy Mountains in general have been uh, quite a big part of my life. I have now, I now have undertaken a pilgrimage to all 19 mountains. And in fact, I met my lovely wife, who we'll be hearing from later, on Lisa, on a, uh, on a pilgrimage to Mount Adams in the US. So for me, that moment of firstly deciding to do a pilgrimage to all of these mountains after being inspired by the book was quite a significant one. But I think also the moment of deciding to follow through on that when I was presented with the opportunity to do so was also significant. And just as a footnote to this, um, quite a few years earlier, I, I attended a psychic development workshop, and we were paired up, you know, in the class to do various exercises. And the person I was, one person I was paired up with, was quite good at this and had had several quite impressive successes during the class. And during the exercise with me, the impression that they conveyed, that they received in relation to me was that they saw me standing on top of a mountain with my arms outstretched. I obviously can't demonstrate that here uh, in, in this sort of, I can't show you it. But um, at the time, it seemed a very strange impression to me because I didn't know about these holy mountains. But as time goes by, that person's impression has really proven very insightful. They tuned into what has actually ended up becoming a very important part of my life.
1: That's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that, Julian. I think very inspiring uh, for our listeners and those of you who can get to a holy mountain. We're very lucky here in Britain because we have actually nine that we can go to, but they are in America. You'll find them all on the Aetherius website. I should mention aetherius.org, actually, because not only you find things about the Nine Freedoms there, but you'll find things about these holy mountains in New Zealand, in Australia, uh, Kilimanjaro, which Julian mentioned, and uh, in Europe as well, Switzerland and France. And if you can get there, just like Julian, you might have your moment of truth. I don't know whether you'll meet... Your future wife or husband or partner—I don't—I can't guarantee that, but certainly you—you, um, you, I think it's something to be recommended and something I think we, you know, to feed ourselves—it's a great thing. But, you know, there's an example where you're giving service—you're going there to pray to help others, but you're also uh, immediately altering your own inner development. So, thanks so much for sharing that with us, Julian Rosser So now we're going to go on to our theme again the only major sin on earth ignorance and how to cure it which is to gain enlightenment and those were the opening words the first extract we heard from the fourth freedom and they led into um, the various things we can do we've covered those in some previous shows the physical and mental roadmap to enlightenment the psychic and intuitive roadmap to enlightenment we're given all the steps we need to take, they're very precise, they're very clear, they're ironed out. We're, we're, we're told the really they're prioritized as well for us. And then following that, we're given a summary uh, afterwards. And we're going to hear that summary, having given that roadmap, if you like, to enlightenment, the the various steps we have to take physically, mentally, psychically, and so on. And the extract we're now going to hear comes straight after that so. Let's listen, please. Darren, would you play our second extract?
2: These are the essential stages to enlightenment. There is not an easy path. Some passages are shorter, yet more dangerous. Than others. This you
1: know. So that's a short extract. It's a very significant one though, and I I picked it out for a a real reason because in it, and by the way, we are attempting here to go through uh, all of the nine freedoms, but we have the advantage on the Spiritual Freedom Show of being able to hone in on shorter statements. And it's just how much, amazing how much depth there is in just one, sometimes just a few words of a sentence uh, within this teaching. And this is an example of it. So he's been through the various steps. And then he does us, I think, a giant favour when he tells us it's not an easy path. I think that's a favour to us, actually. I mean, some could say, well, that's a bit daunting. But no, because you're going to find that. I mean, I think we all do find that. And then you'll know when you go through difficult patches. It won't be difficult all the time, by the way. Far from it. It'll be, it's wonderful often. And it's something, I mean, I must say, I've worked for the Ethereum Society now for, goodness knows, gosh, how many years? Well, over 42 years, certainly maybe 43 years. And uh, so every day I've gone into work there and I get up in the morning and by and large, I look forward to going in still every morning, not every occasion, but usually. So I'm not going to say it's always difficult. There are certainly difficulties though. There are certainly challenges. They're going to come. The tests will come. If they didn't come, what would it be worth? What would it really be? Uh, And so we are prepared here by being told that. And in fact, you can use that as a yardstick for your discrimination, because if someone tells you and they will tell you, they do try to tell you they're offering an easy path to enlightenment, you'll immediately know they're wrong. You'll immediately know they are not enlightened themselves or they would know that Uh, they may not be lying. They might believe they found this easy path, but they haven't. And so that's a good yardstick for discrimination. I mean, I could name some, well, some very popular teachers. I've certainly met, particularly one I'm thinking of, with a massive following who tells people that he is enlightened and uh, tells you it's really quite easy. And um, I think he's found this person, this particular teacher, a state of peace and contentment, but not enlightenment. And this is a a real yardstick. I mean, if you are, anyway, you wouldn't be satisfied for too long because you'd be so concerned to serve humanity and especially, I would say, the Mother Earth. Another yardstick as well that you can use is, have they attained psychic and spiritual powers? Psychic and spiritual powers are not a goal. They're not the goal. They should never be the goal. But they do come along in one way or another. They They can vary a lot depending on the individual, but they will come along. And if a person hasn't experienced that, they haven't moved on to the higher stage above those powers of enlightenment. Actually, Dr. King pointed out in a yoga school school that he belonged to prior to the Ethereum Society being founded, and this particular school frowned on the development of clairvoyant powers saying they should all be rejected. And he asked a question, how, at a meeting of this school, how can you reject something unless you first attained it? I mean, you're not rejecting something you haven't even got, are you? And the, uh, actually the yogi who wasn't at that particular meeting, but he heard about it, was Dr. Harry Prasad Shastri. I've been to his school. It still exists. Uh, I mean, The late Dr. Shastri, I should say, but it's still there where Dr. King used to go prior to founding the Aetherius Society, and he actually did agree to Dr. King's statement. But I digress. It's not an easy path. And then Mars Sex 6 goes on to make this very, very interesting, I think, and significant statement. He says this. Some passages are shorter, yet more dangerous than others. This you know. Some passages are shorter, yet more dangerous than others. This you know. Now, Prior to the days we're in now, the shorter passages or the shorter paths, if you like, were generally related to either Raja or Kundalini Yoga. They may have had another name, um, but that's what they were generally related to. Uh, In Raja Yoga, the aphorisms of, of Raja Yoga, the tenets, if you like, of it were laid down by an avatar, Sri Patanjali and Dr King told me he came to Earth to to reveal his sutras or aphorisms. They're sometimes called either. Um, and, and he told when he told me that, and it was we were actually at, in a place called Lake Powell at the time in Arizona. It was as though those sutras, those laws, those procedures already existed, and he came to deliver them. Not they but he didn't invent them. That's the feeling I got. He came to deliver existing sutras which hadn't yet been delivered to earth. And that was over 2,000 years ago. And the aim there is to gain complete control over all aspects of the mind. You'd be very interested to know probably that Patanjali does not mention kundalini at all. Does not mention, I believe, chakras at all. Does not mention nadis at all. So it is a, a, a different kind of a path. It's, a, as I say, a Raja Yoga path. It's suppression and control of mind at its very root. And the theory then being to leave a vacuum into which enlightenment can come. But you do have to follow certain essential disciplines in that path. Um, usually people who practiced it were sannyasins or um. They broke away, I should say, from civilization. They'd sought out remote regions. They were only in the company of like-minded aspirants. If you want to take it fully, to the nth degree, and the danger would be if you didn't maintain a balanced, practical approach to everyday life. You could lose your grounding, if you like. Uh, And you might remember, if you're familiar with Paramahansa Yogananda, that after he experienced cosmic consciousness as he called it for the first time his guru shri ukteswa instructed him to sweep the balcony floor at the ashram he didn't say oh that's wonderful let's talk about the cosmos or what did you experience my son he instructed him to sweep the balcony floor there's a lesson in material practicality and uh it, it it is a path the raja yoga path if you take it all the way that could have been um dangerous if you weren't grounded if you weren't practical if you didn't keep uh, balanced in the in the essentials if you like the regrettable sometimes essentials of life kundalini yoga is potentially even more da- dangerous because they used a certain physical method sometimes it was taught in kriya yoga schools and they could bring a forced rise of kundalini which is the mystic force sometimes called the serpent power within us through the spine uh, to speed up our journey to enlightenment interestingly uh, we have to get to the fifth freedom uh, and the, the cosmic consciousness where we're told about the chakras uh, that uh, more about that and uh, and kundalini is mentioned actually though in the third freedom too the th- freedom of service and it it's a, it is mentioned in the nine freedoms quite a bit but the recommendation is a safe, balanced approach. Now, I think there's a question here because I don't necessarily think that if somebody now tried to practice Kundalini yoga, which could be dangerous, if you got it wrong, you could be very ill, uh, you could have mental health issues as well, uh, you could even damage yourself physically. Uh, the Kundalini is a real thing, it really does exist, it's extremely powerful. Uh, there's lots of tomes and different books uh, about it. Gopi Krishna is just one who wrote about the dangers of Kundalini, which he experienced, uh, probably from not following the procedures he should have followed. Uh, and you do hear about this. If you follow the path as laid down in the ethereal society, it can be a fast path, but it's a safe path, providing all the steps are taken. In fact, Kundalini... Um, does rise naturally through service and definitely through love um, and one could get into that in some depth uh, but those i think are some of the paths that mars sector six was referring to there and as i say i'm not convinced they would really work now because in this day and age service has to come first um, in fact just getting back for a moment to the Ethereum society the master Etherius, who spoke through Dr. King, uh, was his really his probably his main communicator, you might say, um, uh, from the very beginning. He did say in 1967 that those who really follow, successfully follow the tasks laid down uh, for the Ethereum Society and work for them and dedicate themselves to them, uh, he says, not easily but quickly will you be able to don the crowns of a chip. So there's quite a change there that if you follow a, power, a potent enough uh, spiritual path of service, you could still do it easily. Uh, sorry, not easily, quickly, but not easily. Uh, an adept or, if you like, a yoga adept has attained a very high degree of enlightenment. Such a person has been able to raise Kundalini at will in its entirety to a very high chakra or psychic center. So it's inspiring thought that although we're engaged in our task, those who are staff and members of the society, um, in order to serve humanity, if we do it correctly and successfully, it is actually a quick path to enlightenment. But like Mars Sector 6, the Master Aetherius has the caveat not An easy one. Uh, And I want to also stress because uh, we have listeners from many different uh, paths of life, you might say, it's not the only way. We've never ever put it forward as the only way. Uh, Those who follow it believe it to be the most effective way. There are many other ways of giving service, and service is the thing to do. And that's really the point that we're getting from this particular extract that some passions are shorter, yet more dangerous than others, but there is not an easy path. Nothing can be achieved easily. There's no safe or probably effective shortcut nowadays anyway. But uh, we can certainly take uh, to whatever path we choose, uh, and if it's a path of service, it will lead us inexorably to get rid of the only major sin on earth, and that, Is ignorance. Now I'd like to bring in at this point our next guest. I'm very, very happy that she's back with us again, as well as hearing her every time we do this show. Uh, That's Lisa Rossa, and she is going to lead us in a practice. uh, I think it's going to be a beautiful practice. So let me just tell you again, I can't tell you everything about Lisa, but she is a volunteer staff member of the Ethereum Society at the European headquarters in London. Actually, I first met her in Michigan. Uh, where she attended activities there. Uh, she does invaluable work in helping. She's also been in New Zealand with with her husband, Julian. She does invaluable work in helping to promote the society and its teachings. She's a regular contributor to the Aetherius Society blog. She's the administrator of the temple program in London for the society. And today, she's going to lead us in a prayer for the Divic kingdom. Lisa.
0: Well, thank you very much for having me back, Richard. I'm a big fan of the show, so it's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you. I thought today I could lead us all in a prayer for a part of our world that's mostly unseen, although very active, and that is the Deva kingdom. Dr. George King tells us that the divas are responsible for the functions of nature, every Function of nature, whether it be a summer breeze or a storm at sea or a drought, the divas have brought these conditions about. Some divas are enlightened beings who have even greater power and wisdom in their own way than a terrestrial master. Others are more primitive and are commonly referred to as gnomes, elves, and fairies. Many children have interactions with divas, but unfortunately, most tend to grow out of this. The divas respond to the energy that we send out, and anyone can experience this for themselves. Next time you go for a walk in the forest, or by the sea, or on a mountain somewhere, somewhere you find yourself in a peaceful state in nature, Just stop for a moment and try to feel a real love for nature, a real appreciation for the beauty of it, and try to become aware of the fact that life is all around you, expressing itself in countless different ways, and think about the divas and thank them for their work. Try to tune in and allow yourself to be aware of their presence. And I I think this can be a really beautiful experience. They will respond to any love that you send them. You may not see a diva, as few people do, but they will be there and they will appreciate the energy that you send out to them. By karmic law, the divas have to use the energy that we send out. And as humanity as a whole doesn't send out love energy for 24 hours a day. Um, On the contrary, we often send out very negative energy. And this is why we see natural disasters in the world, such as floods, hurricanes, and famine. But the divas are hardworking spiritual beings. And I thought today we could send out our love and our appreciation for them and their work. So first let's close the eyes, And sit comfortably in our chairs. A back straight, but relax. And take a few deep breaths. And visualize a white light coming down from space. A vibrant, scintillating white light. See this coming down into the top of your head filling and charging your brain. And now see this white light coming down through your neck and shoulders and out into your heart chakra and the palms of your hands. And now raise your hands in the prayer mudra, which is your hands roughly shoulder height, palms open and facing outward and visualize this white light going out while i say this prayer almighty god we send our love and our blessings to the devic kingdom at this time we thank them for their tireless work in manipulating the energy that we send out we thank them for guiding the nature conditions on earth. And we thank them for their often unnoticed and unappreciated contribution. O wondrous God, we pray that people may be inspired and guided by their higher selves so that they may realize the existence of the David kingdom and its importance in our world. Almighty Parabrahma, we thank you for the Deva kingdom. May they be blessed now and always, and may thy divine will be done. And we'll now perform the sealing mudra, where we swipe the right hand, over the left, away from yourself to stop the energy flow. Thank you all very much for joining in this prayer and I encourage you all to try and make a connection with the divas in your own lives. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Lisa. That's beautiful and I'm absolutely sure that uh, if we follow Lisa's advice there and follow prayer just like the beautiful one she, she led us in there, we will experience that because it is. some people may be more clairvoyant, may actually see uh, divic forms, and you sometimes can do that. But even if you don't, you can certainly sense them, and you can feel their wonderful love at times. Uh, and has given us a great key there, I think, which will really uh, enhance our lives and also enable us to contribute more uh, to the divas who need our energy and our support in their fantastic work that they do. Well, Darren, um, I'm now going to bring back our very well-known producer, Darren Ball, uh, and you have some more points, I hope.
3: Yeah, thanks very much, Richard, and thank you, Lisa and Julian. Um, I'd like to say, first of all, thank you to everybody who's been tuning in regularly to the show, and if you have been enjoying it, I'd like to invite you to share it with someone or with the community you're a part of so that more people can be inspired by the teachings of Mars Sector 6. Now, Richard, this question I've got here is kind of in two parts. Um, so I'll, I'll I'll read both of them, I think, to you. We might be able to stop after the first. But I think it's a fascinating question related to um, psychic powers and specifically to seeing the future.
1: Um,
3: so this is the first part of the question. From someone who, who's uh, obviously been studying these teachings quite closely. Um, so he says, while listening to this lecture on psychic self-defense, specifically uh, the seashore visualization, Dr. King talks about a choppy sea or a black boat coming straight at you, and he explains this is your future for the next several days. And then he describes what you should do when you're looking at the sea and these events arise. He finishes almost like a passing remark with, To see the future, it's easy to do. But of course, the subject matter of the lecture is not about seeing into the future, so he moves on to describe the final method of self protection. Is there a lecture or a book in the Theory Society Library where he goes into this aspect of seeing into the future in more detail?
1: Well, uh, that's a very good point. Uh, Premonition—some people call it. Um, I don't think there's a particular book. Can you think of a particular book? I mean, obviously, there's "Develop Your Clairvoyant Powers" is a lecture. Obviously, and realize you're in a potential psychic development is covered. Um, I've personally written a book called "Unlock Your Psychic Powers," which uh, actually is, is my bestseller. Which uh, I, it's not my best book, by the way. But that that was the one that that was a bestseller internationally, and that was dedicated to Dr King. Uh, but in terms of Dr King, I think it's more he alludes to it here and there rather than there's a particular book or uh, lecture on it, unless you know of one, Darren.
3: No, I can t- I, I I did look myself actually when I received this, and the only mm. um, the only thing that came to mind for me was you know comments that Dr King has made about the three times. Oh yeah, um, yeah. If you know the two times, you know the yes. third. You know, that's true, you know. yes. Yeah, so if you know what happened, exactly what happened yesterday and today, I think he says, and you know what is going to happen tomorrow. Uh, I wondered if you had, maybe you had any more insight that you could offer around well, that there, particular idea. Y-
1: yeah. yeah, I mean, there is a practice, actually, um, and it's it's contained in nature's finer forces. It's not an Ethericity book. It's a book that's recommended, I think, in one of the notes in The Nine Freedoms by Rama Prasad, a theosophical book, if you can get hold of it. And in there is a Sanskrit text, and in there is a practice which I personally... Used, which does teach you to know the three times. Um, But I mean, from my experience, um, uh, and by the way, knowing the three times isn't—you'd have to know the now. It's quite—it's quite Mm. advanced. It's not just like oh, I'm having breakfast at the moment or something like that. uh, It's—it you know, it's deeper than that. But I—I've been amazed. I mean, I've had because I've done a lot of radio shows and I've done a lot of things on the psychic area. Stories from people who wouldn't call themselves psychic at all, either through dreams or through premonitions. It's very common. And um, as I say, there isn't a particular place I can take you and done a study course on that on its own. But I would say if it does start to happen to you, I would take it seriously. I would. Not be at all concerned, say "I don't know what this means." I mean, I'll give you the, probably the most dramatic example I ever had, which was a caller phoned in and they'd had a dream that their child was going to their newborn baby was going to die. It was a nightmare, and they woke up and the, their baby was fine, thought fantastic and then a week later, their baby died uh just completely unexpectedly from some strange illness. And she phoned into me at a radio station in Manchester in England and said, you know, why did she have that dream? Mm. I mean, because she couldn't stop it. And, you know, I have to to take her word for all of that. I mean, it was an anecdote. And whether she could have, you know, gone in and, you know, sought some medical checks, I, I have no idea. Because I, I would tend to say if it's safe and you get a kind of a premonition or even a strong gut feeling, you know, with we, sense, be sensible. But if, if no harm can be done by you checking something out, check it out. Like you might get a bad feeling about your car. And I've come across this too. And you check it out and you find your wheel was loose or something. That's happened. Uh, from anecdotes I've received, and, and and they just followed a hunch. However, let's just assume there's nothing she could do. And I so I said to her, you know, well, all I can ask you, I mean, no, nothing can prepare you for that at all, but did the fact that you'd been through it in your dream in any way, in any way, soften the blow at all when mm. it happened? And she said, yes, it kind of did, because she'd been there before. It kind of prepared her. Um but that's the worst and the most tragic case that I've come across. Um, but, you know, I, I would just say if you get a hunch and, – and, of course, the other thing is by testing these things, you will start to develop a recognition of when they're real because you'll find out, ah, okay, that did happen. That wheel was loose. And so how did I feel? How did that come to me? And you get into what I call a kind of a groove, and it's very personal with each one of us how that happens – and then you'll start to rec- recognize it when it's genuine, as opposed to just your imagination or, or what have you.
3: Mm, yeah, that's a good perspective. I think helpful for, for people as well. Um, I'll just briefly summarize the second part of this question here, just um very quickly, what he's asking about is, you know, if, if Dr. King says that it's "quote unquote" easy to see the future, it seems there are some instances in which the cosmic masters appear to be surprised about some of the uh, effects. You could say of of the cosmic missions of Dr. George King, for example, of sunbeam inspiring the galaxy. Mm-hmm. And if that is true, you know, how does that square with the fact that it's easy to see the future, but that there are some things that happen that they may not or appear not to have foreseen?
1: Well, we're going to have to hold that thought because we're running out of time here and it's a very good one. So can we put that into the next show because it's a good question which I'd be delighted to answer. But I have to say we're now at the end. So I want to thank our guests today, uh, Lisa and Julian Rosser. I want to thank Darren Ball, our producer, and especially you, our listeners. And always please do remember what we always end our shows with, that service is the jewel In the Rock of Attainment.